Welcome to another episode of Self Improved, everybody. Happy Friday. I hope you're going to have a great weekend. Shabbat Shalom for all my Yahudim. And let's get into chapter 7. Let's just cut to the chase. Or no, chapter 6 and 7, sorry. No, no, I'm kidding. This is chapter 5 and 6. Sorry, I'm I'm doing a lot of these at the same time, so it's, I'm tripping out. Enjoy. By the way, that's the epitome of the episode. I don't know what it is. I can't gather my thoughts today. It's just not the day for this. But hey, mate, you get to see pretty authentic Zev here. Sometimes we're not all sharp, and that's the way it is. Enjoy. So Jay Shetty has a really hot take saying success won't make us happy. Material gratification is external, but happiness is internal. I agree with the happiness part. Now, if something external reminds you of your internal happiness, then it will be something happy. Like if something external reminds you of your why, then then that that's going to continue making you grateful and feeling good. Whereas a lot of toys, I call them that metaphorically, like our cars, they don't make us happy forever because they're these materialistic external things. We all know this. But what I'm saying is imagine if a car, which again, typically the narrative is that makes you unhappy over time because it's like a toy you get desensitized to. Imagine if that car was a reminder of something deeper. Like, I, actually, I knew someone I played baseball with. Their father passed away. And their father loved Mustangs. And he had this Mustang that his father owned. He, and, and it reminds him of his dad. And, and it reminds him of these, again, internal happy triggers from memories of his father. And so he's never going to get rid of that car. Every time he looks at it, it, gives him, it reminds him of happy things. So yeah, I guess the motive is everything. Here's a story, and I actually refer to this all the time. A woman saw Pablo Picasso sitting down and asked him to make her a drawing. The drawing took 30 seconds, and then he demanded $30,000. She couldn't believe this because it was just a sketch. She said, how is this $30,000? It took you 30 seconds. He said, it didn't take me 30 seconds. It took me 30 years. And I'll let that resonate with you. There's so much in this world that we put the value on in the moment and we need to look at the time it took and the, the deeper aspects. I wonder what you take away from that story. I can't help but think about my the service I bring to people, personal training. Very similar. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I could talk to you right now. I really want to know what you what that makes you think about. Often the wisdom we get from folks in our life it could be the exact same thing. But anyways, let's move on. Identity and how it can be stripped. Be careful of what you identify as. Your identity can be stripped very quickly. This is known as the defenseless ego, right? When you have not taken into consideration the contrary to your desires and to your identity and what you want and who you are. When you start actually thinking about, okay, what would happen if now you start to game plan and you are a little more uh, bulletproof, uh, you're a little more anti-fragile. But again, really listen to these words. Be careful what you identify as. Think how quickly some of that stuff can get stripped away. Flowers and weeds both grow and fester into things more until they're killed. So you plant a seed of positivity, you know, it, I would call it a mitzvah, the Hebrew word for a good deed. 
And it grows into beautiful things. You plant a seed of greed, hurtfulness, and again, as I'd refer to in Hebrew, unavera. It grows into something poor, a weed. <laughs> so do you want to plant a seed for a flower or a weed? You decide. It's actually like a story. My goodness, what is it? It's We all have two wolves living inside us. You know, one of anger, one of love. You choose. They're both there. They will never leave. But you choose who you feed. <laughs> Anyways, that's that's all I took down for chapter four. Chapter five of Live Like a Monk was all about breathing. Yes, it was titled Breathe. <laughs> and I literally took one thing away from this chapter, which is meditation. It's Here he says it's like a monk story. They would take their time checking the monastery and cleaning it. When they finished, it would already start getting dirty again where they started. He says, this is the epitome of meditation. It's always work. And it actually amplifies what you're feeling. So I highly recommend you start meditating. Be aware of how you feel. Be the observer. You are not your thoughts or feelings. You're the observer of those thoughts and feelings, just like you observe clouds that go by. And because meditation amplifies what you're feeling, it's actually really easy to address things that you didn't know were in the shadow, according to Carl, according to Carl Jung, a psychologist. And if I'll, I'll really quickly explain this. the shadow, it is we do not express certain things until light is shined on them, just like a shadow does not appear until light is casted on something. When you meditate, these things that sometimes hide in our blind spots come out. Uh, not always. Sometimes it takes an external factor to bring out our shadows. But I'm just saying, really, really, please try to meditate. Let's move on to chapter 6, which is titled Purpose. Now, because he was a monk, he uses a lot of these terms, these, uh, um, I don't know what language, maybe Punjabi, Hindu, uh, sorry, Hindi. But it's called Dharma. Passion, expertise, and usefulness. And the reason he defines that is because it comes up a lot in this chapter. So he explains Dharma like this. When a man continues to save a scorpion from the water. So imagine someone's at the river side, the river bank, and he keeps saving this scorpion. And it keeps stinging him after he gets saved. And someone goes, why are you constantly saving this thing? It's stinging you. He says, it is in my nature to save something that is drowning. So he valued saving a life more than his sufferings from the stings. So that's his dharma. Again, his passion, expertise, and usefulness. What is your dharma? What is something that is in your nature? Even, even if it hurts you sometimes, it is in your nature. Think about that. So I'll move on. We see stories about people who they make it young. They're millionaires young and, you know, or they're child movie stars. A lot of them ends up causing depression and anxiety. According to the literature, this is not even just my opinion. Hundreds of years ago, there were no teenage millionaires or movie stars necessarily. Food for thought. Are they prepared for that? Is that... In our biology, in our DNA, are we meant for that, to start growing up that fast? An Indian guru, the 
what is it, Bhagavad Gita. He says that it's better to do one's own dharma imperfectly than to do another's perfectly. And and actually this makes sense because then that's actually not your dharma at all. But reminds me of people who front. And, and I talked about this last episode how you'll still have people hate you and love you even if you front. So there is literally no point but to be authentic. Andre Agassi. Famous tennis player. He actually hated tennis, but he did it to make money. He was good at it. So later, he started doing nonprofit work that he said was his true passion. Now, remember this story. When kids get A's and D's on their report card, usually the parents, but people focus on D's. This is setting someone up to be good at what they hate, right? If we're always just praising them for the A's, not what did you enjoy doing today? What did you... What did you love doing? What did you want to... Blah, 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 blah. Sorry. I'll move on. Um, focus on the... Focus not only on the A's, okay? Sorry, I don't know if I'm like drunk and I don't even know it this morning. Oh my gosh, I can't speak. But what I'm saying, instead of focusing on the D's where their grades are poor, yeah, focus on the good grades because that's usually what a child likes to do more. Uh, we should be doubling down on our strengths and passions, especially teaching kids to do that. So... And then we should delegate out our weakness. That's just business 101. And I don't know, for some reason, I feel like I did not articulate that well, but I'll say it one more time. I'll paraphrase. When kids get A's and D's, parents focus on the bad grade and say, we need to improve that bad grade. And when I said that that is teaching people to be good at what they hate, it's because think about it. Now you're teaching a kid to just focus on improving things they're not good at. And I know that sounds like Zev. That's horrible. Remember, this isn't my opinion. I, I do think we should work on our weaknesses. I think we all could agree to that. This is Jay Shetty, this author. And already, like I'm telling you, this book isn't like life-changing. But hey, this is a book summary, so bear with me. And I I personally, okay, even though I do think we should work on our weaknesses, it's context-dependent. Like, I, my weakness, let's say, is accounting. I'm not an accountant, okay? So like, I'm not going to practice doing taxes so much that I can do my own taxes. I'm going to delegate that out so I can keep focusing on what I'm good at. See what I'm saying? But, but since a goal of mine is to establish fantastic relationships in my life, I am going to work on weaknesses that I have in regards to maintaining relationships. Even, you know what I mean? Even though my passion in life, even though I am not a professional relationship person, or actually that's a, that's a brutal example. Let's go with like something that's a job title. Okay, here, here. For example, I am not a professional cleaner. I do not go and clean houses for a living. It's not my business. However, just because that's not my strength, I want to keep working on making my house clean. Like, like I like to clean my house and I want to keep working on that. That's my point. Okay. That's my point is there are things that aren't our strong suits that you can work on. But then what, and, and but he's saying, I, I do get what Jay Shetty's saying. You shouldn't like stick it down someone's throat what they're bad at. Um, and I couldn't agree more. I was, I was geeking out about this with a client saying the education system frustrates me sometimes like kids, the amount of my youth athletes to say they hate school and that school made them hate learning. That just breaks my heart because I absolutely love to learn. And so what I'm saying with this spiel, what I'm saying is I tell the kids, I wish the end of the year project was write an essay on whatever it is you like within this subject. You know what I mean? Instead of forcing them to pick one topic. Uh, same with like the, in English class, I think they should be able to pick every book they read, not just here's two books, pick one. You know what I mean? 
They should be able to pick anything. When they write tests on that subject, give the, like let them write a test on something they really enjoy. This is now, by the way, anyone in the post secondary system is going to roll their eyes at this. They're going to say, "Zev, you are not in this board. You don't not even know the the backlash we'd face." I understand this is unrealistic. I'm spitballing. This is a podcast. I can say whatever I want. I'm just saying, like me personally, the amount of learning I've gotten to do because I chose to do it is on my own terms. It's made me such a better person. And it would happen with the youth as well. It would 100% happen with the youth. I actually remember getting to, in, in like a kin class at high school, getting to do a, a presentation myself. They, they, they let me pick the topic, so I just picked Olympics. And I remember it was so much fun. I stayed up so late doing that and didn't care that I did. I enjoyed it. More kids should be doing that. It just frustrates me. Again, this is all coming. When I say all this, you got to understand. Look at the meta message. I'm, I feel sad, actually, for youth that don't like learning. So going back, Jay Shetty, the author, he sees those weaknesses, the Ds, as someone else's dharma. That's something else someone else. Remember, dharma, that's your... Let's go back for a sec. Dharma is your passion, expertise, and usefulness. Sucking at mathematics, that's someone else's expertise, usefulness, and skill. But if you are passionate about your weaknesses, still develop them because then that's your dharma. Like your dharma isn't always what you're good at. And I think we, I just talked about that like literally two seconds ago. Is You can still want to, to work on your weaknesses and be passionate about them. Now, this is interesting. So if emotional qualities are your weakness, and I had kind of referred to that in regards to relationships, and then let's say you stop trying to work on them because you're like, "Uh, I'm not good at that, so I'm just going to work on what I'm good at. Well, then that means who the hell taught you not to seek out high amounts of empathy and compassion, kindness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Someone or an environment, not just someone, an environment had to teach you not to want to seek that out. It's kind of sad. Do not confuse inexperience with weakness, people. Sister Joan Chittister says here, It is trust in the limits of the self that makes us open and is the trust in the gifts of others that makes us secure. We come to realize that we don't have to do everything, that we can't do everything. What I can't do is someone else's gift and responsibility. My limitations make space for the gifts of other people. I so love that. I forgot about that quote until I just read it. It is so true. We, we need to create that space for other people to thrive. And that's okay. Like our weaknesses do that. And that's actually their responsibility then to pick us up and create a balanced world. You know what I mean? Just like we have the responsibility to go and strive for who our potential, like be the best we can be with our strengths. It's like, think about what you're good at. And yes, it's your responsibility to be super, super good at that. So go do it. Because somebody who isn't good at what you are needs you. <laughs> Researchers Anders Ericsson and Robert Poole in their book Peak that mastery re- requires deliberate practice and lots of it. This reminds me of fitness. And, you know, yes, uh, I might have a gift in this industry, but if I don't deliberately work on it and practice it, we will not be a master no matter how gifted. All masters are not natural masters. They are gifted people who have worked really hard on something as well. So if you have a gift, do you have something you're naturally good at? That's not enough. I'm sorry. I'm here to tell you it is not enough. You have to work on it as well to be a master. I was going to read this one part, but it kind of sucks. So let's move on to chapter six. Well, here, screw it, screw it. This is what it says. 
uh, to build competence without regard for character is narcissistic, and to build character without working on skills is devoid of impact. We need to work on both to be a really good person and to have a higher purpose. But it's just so wordy. I don't. They could have simplified that big time. You know, they could have just said like, to get good at something without to get good at something without noticing how it's changing your personality is narcissistic. Uh, but even then, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, actually. <laughs> they kind of go hand in hand. And then to build character without working on skills is devoid of impact. They could have said to to work on, to notice your personality or work on your personality without trying to tweak any anything you're good at doesn't make an impact on anyone. So anyways, I, that's why I didn't read it. But I just did. <laughs> I didn't. I don't like that. You know what I mean. Anyways, chapter six is all about routine, and it looks as though yeah, I wrote a lot about this. The Dalai Lama he says every day think as you wake up. Today I am fortunate to be alive. I have a precious human life, and I'm not going to waste it. And this actually reminds me of there's a Hebrew prayer, Modani. So it's pretty much the same thing. Just like thank goodness we have our body. We woke up with our body one more day. You know, that when we are sleeping, we're not fully conscious and uh, we got to wake up and be conscious of our body again. So I wrote here, imagine you see a flower and you deep down, you kind of feel like you want that flower. Oh my God, this is, I should be, this is so sad. I kind of hate this. This is the worst podcast episode ever. If you've made it 17 minutes so far, I don't know how, like this is a horrible episode. I can't speak today. Here comes take two here. Okay. Okay, I see. So what this is saying is you want to see a flower blossom, but imagine the flower had consciousness and could control its blossoming abilities and then committed suicide and it didn't blossom at all and didn't even try. Well, you would think to yourself, oh, that's a real shame. That's sad. Like I wanted to see it flourish, but it didn't want to see itself flourish. Well, Jay Shetty, he says that that's no different than us. There are people in our lives and maybe imagine if there's some other higher power that wants to see us flourish so bad. And knows we can do it. <laughs> We're capable. <laughs> but yet there's so many people that choose not to. And so that's why I told you the quote at the beginning about the Dalai Lama. Because it comes back. When he says don't waste your body. That's what the Dalai Lama means. Okay. And if someone was watching us the same way we watch our pets. Our animals and plants. They'd be rooting for us. Okay. Root for yourself. Um, and But I do think. this. You're going to hate me. That's all poetic and stuff. But I do think that that's the limbic brain coming out, us having this will to live. And I think us making flourishing so poetic is really just our motivation in the middle of our brain wanting to hunt and survive. But anyways, you, you could literally bring everything back to the actual survival mechanisms we have in our neuroscience. Like you could always go back to that, but it kind of ruins the fun and everything. <laughs> Oh, this, you guys all have to remember this saying, the morning is defined by the evening. <laughs> and it is so true. Don't go to bed upset. Make a plan before bed so your brain isn't firing on all cylinders for tomorrow. And you will have a better week because, yes, the days do merge together. It's called emotional carryover. Uh, time remembers things. I'll say that again. Time remembers things. When you're trying to make a routine, do it at the same time. He makes a great point. Like, have, try to do your workout. If you do it in the morning, do it at night. 
it feels weird. It's super foreign. So tie your aspirations to either pre-existing habits or the same time every day. And you will create a new habit. Location has energy. Time has memory. If you do something at the same time every day, it becomes easy. I just mentioned that. If you do something in the same space every day, it also becomes easier and more natural. Fun fact, too much dopamine can keep us from processing serotonin, the contentment chemical. The dopamine chemical is known for pleasure on a superficial level, even though really it actually increases pain, meaning if I get pleasure from chocolate, dopamine kicks in and says, yeah, but uh, without chocolate, life sucks. And then your brain, and so then you have a second response, which is I need chocolate again to prevent this pain, this sucky life. So you just, and that's why we call it the pleasure chemical is like technically it gives you pleasure, but really it's giving you pain to make you want that thing again. And that is why dopamine fades. That's why these things that give us pleasure slowly fade and we need more of it anyways. But I did not know this, that dopamine, it keeps us from processing this contentment chemical. And it, it really is so true because think about it. You are no longer content with one piece of chocolate after a few weeks. You need two pieces, then three, then four. Like I just mentioned to you, the dopamine wears away. So yeah, less dopamine means more serotonin. Uh, where you, do you get serotonin from? You actually do get serotonin from laughing with people, really good conversation, great music. A million more things, but that's off the top of my head. That was the end of chapter six. This is chapter seven. And I'm actually going to wait for next week's episode, do chapter seven. How are y'all liking this book so far? Is it okay? For me, again, it's not going to be necessarily an annual read. That's psycho-cybernetics. But it, uh, yeah. So I think it's a good amount of schmaltz. I don't know. I'm in between about it. It's an, it's an okay book. There were some parts that really, like, don't get me wrong. When I was reading this, I kept talking about this stuff with everybody. And I still use a lot of this stuff to this day, actually. It comes up in conversation. I liked this. I liked this. And I and I th- I, hopefully it gets better because right now it's a little dry. I don't know if you're sensing that. But anyways, I'll see you guys next week. We'll get to chapter seven. So I hope you dug that. Some nuggets in there. Some things we've heard, at least I've heard already millions of times. Yeah, and, and hey, I'm sorry about that. I feel so bad. This episode was schlock, pure schlock. So anyways, maybe the next one will be better. I will make sure it's better, actually. I'm going to only put things I think is cool because I was reading a lot of stuff in this one that I've heard a lot of, and so I wasn't enthusiastic, and maybe that came out in the audio. You tell me. Anyways, enjoy your weekend. Rate five stars if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Take care. See ya.